It's the Canucks Hour here on Sportsnet 650. Jamie Dodd, and we are going to take you straight to Rogers Arena where Canucks General Manager Jim Benning is getting set to address the media. We'll be back with Thomas Drance for reaction after Benning is finished answering questions. Here we go. There's some issues now that we're working through to try to figure out to, to get to where we need to get to to win hockey games. Is one of those issues the penalty kill? Yes. So our... You know, our special teams, I think five on five, we've really improved, you know, our chances against and our five on five play. But, you know, right now our special teams are hurting us. They're, you know, our, our, power, our power play, you know, we have the personnel, I, I believe, to have a real good power play. And, you know, for whatever reason, um, you know, we're not performing on the power play. And then our penalty kill is... You know, it's it's really hurt us this year, as was that evidence in the game last night. They scored three power play goals, and that's the difference in the game. How worried are you about Elias Pettersson's game, and why do you think it's been such a struggle for him? Well, like, part of our problem, I think, is, you know, a lot of our our good players aren't playing to their potential. And, you know, we all know the type of player that he can be, and... Um, you know, whether it's the long layoff, he didn't play, you know, four months of last year and then through the summer, you know, uh, getting back to, you know, playing competitively again. And, um, you know, so we know he's capable of a lot more than he's shown so far. Uh, but it's our jobs as a management team, as a coaching staff to, um, you know, to keep working with him to, to get him to where he needs to be because, you know, he's a big part of our team. How patient uh, can you be here, Jim? A lot of changes already. Making changes would, would obviously be more. So how, how patient are you with this group to work it? Work well, th- like this is wearing on all of us from, you know, ownership through the management team, through the coaching staff and the players. I, I believe in this group of players. Like I believe that... You know, and we, we've shown glimpses. We're we're a fragile team right now. Whether it's, you know, we we take a penalty and we can't kill it off, or, um, you know, a bounce go doesn't go our way. You know, we hit crossbars and posts. So I think, you know, like in the game last night, for, you know, a good portion of that game, I was happy with our game. I thought we played really good. But then, you know, the start of the third period there, we. You know, take take a couple penalties. They score on it, but we need to be smarter too. We need to play smart and not take those penalties. And and you know, it's it's going to take hard work. It's going to be you know from our group a commitment, you know, from everybody to keep working hard, competing hard on the puck, and doing the things that we need to do to win games. But do you feel you you have to stick with this, these guys and that? Well, what we're doing is we're we're looking at everything right now. We're you know, we're, you know, I've been working with the coaches, the coaches work with the players, you know, we've been talking to agents about their players to, you know, just see where they're at and what they're thinking and how we can help. Um, You know, I've looked to the outside, talking to other general managers from other teams to see what's available. If something makes sense, you know, we'll look to do that. Uh, So we're looking at everything. Through the off season, even the eve of the season, about this being a playoff team, mm-hmm. you know the math and how it works, and you've had teams here that have had to try to play catch up, and it's not easy. Right. I mean, how confident do you feel in that proclamation that 
you guys can get back to where you need to be. Well, we're going to have to we're going to have to regain our confidence as a group and as a team. We're going to have to you know do a better job, obviously, on the PK. Um, you know, we need to figure that part of our game out. Um, and I believe, like some of our players, need to regain their confidence to play to their potential. And if we can figure those things out, you know, it's it's going to be hard. It's not going to be easy. But I think if we can figure those things out, you know, there's we're going to have to string a group of wins together now to get back in it. And uh, like I said, I still believe in this group of players. And um, we're going to keep working hard to, you know, find solutions to our problems. And, you know, we still want to be a playoff team. Travis has sat there on a number of nights and lamented the fact that this team can't win a face-off, and that's been part of the problem on the penalty kill. Are you prepared to run with four left-handed centers where it looks like your opponents are picking you guys apart when they're on the power play? Yeah, well, you know, when we do our strategic planning in the summertime, um, you know, our PK, the guys that, you know, we had penciled in that were going to be penalty killers were, you know, obviously Brandon Sutter and Tyler Mott. Um, and then, you know, Jason Dickinson, who we traded for, and Highmore. And, you know, like not having Brandon Sutter and Tyler Mott to start the year, it's a big loss for us because they're good penalty killers. Uh, you know, we traded Jay Beagle this summer, and he he did an excellent job for us in that area. And so, you know, but we've had to, you know, that we, we need to make adjustments. We, we traded for Lamico. Um, and, you know, but it's, it's just not the players. It's we got to, you know, it's the strategy involved in how we're going to kill penalties. And I think the coaches are working with the players on that so we can do a better job. Do you have an update on Brandon Sutter? Well, he's feeling better. Um, you know, as you guys know, he's what they call a COVID long hauler. And uh, I talked to him last week. He's feeling better and better all the time. Um, he's nowhere near close, you know, working out or getting back on the ice. But, you know, we're hoping here that at some point he can start working out and start skating again and be with the group. Jim, when you said there was personnel issues you needed to address, what were those? You said you brought in 11 new guys. And yeah. Things you needed well, to we, do. we wanted to have more depth in our scoring group, right? So we wanted to try to, you know, build build a group where we had three three lines that can contribute to the scoring, you know, a little bit more offensive depth, um, you know, bringing in on the back end, you know, I think, you know, bringing in OEL and, and Pullman, I, you know, I feel like, you know, those were guys that could, you know, work with some of the players we had to make them better. And I think they've shown that. So, um, you know, those those are the issues that I was talking about. Before the season, I think quite rightly, you took the position that your team would be fully vaccinated. Right. Um, Travis Hamannick became an exception to that. What changed to have that happen? So as I, as I came in to talk to you guys, I talked to Travis before I walked in to talk to you guys, and he was on his way to get vaccinated. So he was so, you know, he was... Uh, he was just on his way to go get the vaccination. He, you know, he went over to the the pharmacy and he, you know, had, you know, some second thoughts, I guess. Um, 
And then he went through some other struggles that, you know, issues that he was dealing with. He took a leave of absence from the team to deal with those issues. And um, then he got the, the, the one vaccine. And so now he's got both vaccines. And it's like he got the second one a couple of days ago. So it'll be a couple of weeks yet. And then he's classified where he can go across the border. We hear, we hear a lot from Travis. We've heard from you from time to time. Why don't we ever hear from Francesco? Well, um, you know, and I don't know how it gets out here, but I had a meeting with ownership the other day. And, and you know, when I meet with the ownership, it's kind of a state of the union as to where the team's at. Obviously, ownership's not happy, you know, with the start we've had. And we've talked about, you know, the issues that we're having as a team and as a group. And I try to give them solutions to our problems, how we're going to figure this out and how we're going to get better and how we need to be. Um, so, you know, that's kind of, you know, the way things work around here. Um, so, you know, I'm kind of the spokesman for him in that regard. When you say, Jim, that you guys are looking at everything, does that include the coaching staff? Are you re reviewing Travis or is his job safe as far as you're concerned? Yeah, like we're looking at everything. We're trying to find solutions to our, our problems. And, and, you know, Travis and his staff are, are working hard. This is wearing on them like it's wearing on all of us. Um, this is, you know, something that I didn't expect to kind of happen after, you know, the things that the moves we made this summer. Um, but it's, it's happening and we have to deal with it and we got to, you know, find answers and get things back on track. And you've obviously, you've been in the market long enough to know that there's always going to be dissent. That dissent took the form of uh, a few of your fans last night chanting your job. How does that make you feel? Well, it's upsetting. You know, it's it's really upsetting because, you know, I think as a management team, you know, this last, you know, seven plus years, we've, you know, we've worked really hard to, you know, draft well, develop our players properly. Um, you know, I think it's wearing on all of us. You know, it's there's not one faction between from ownership to the management team to the coaches that it's 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 wearing on us now you know so you know this the fans are frustrated i i get their frustration we're frustrated and but we we need to figure this out and get back on track and start winning hockey games and play like i believe we're capable of does it ever get to the point where it makes the job so unenjoyable you question why you're doing it or whether you should do it i i always look at things you know, my my whole career is is based on, you know, trying to figure things out to build, you know, to help build teams that are competitive, that are successful. Uh, try to, you know, like I, I brought it up, figure out solutions to our problems, how we can get to where we need to be, you know, so we're winning hockey games, we're having fun, and that's not going to change for me. Jim, I'll ask you the same thing I asked Travis a week ago. I mean, you, you've made some significant moves this offseason, but there's still some holes on this roster. There's a lot of blame to go around for why the team is where it is. 
How responsible do you feel for where this team is at right well, now? Well, of course I feel responsible. I'm the leader of this group. And, um, you know, like I said, uh, the moves we made this summer, I would have never envisioned we got off to this start. But we have. Now we have to deal with it, and we got to figure it out. Um, you know, it's hard. I'm not going to sit here and say it's not hard. It's really hard. But, you know, like what what's going on in B.C. right now with the people out in Abbotsford and, and the floods that they're dealing with, that's not easy either. So um, this is what we call life. Ian mentioned, you asked if Travis's job is safe. Do you feel your job is safe? Well, I, I, I'm not going to worry about that. There's, you know... Um, that will be an ownership decision, and if you know they get to a point where you know they don't feel like you know I'm doing a good job or I need to be replaced, they'll make that decision. Do you feel eight years is enough time to have executed a, a rebuild and got a team to where you want to be? Yeah, I believe so. And I and like I, I like I told you, I like this group. Like I like this group of players, and I think you know along the way, what we tried to do is make sure that with you know, our younger players, we surrounded them with veteran players so they could learn from them, you know, glue guys that could teach them. Because, you know, it's – but now we've kind of handed it over to to the, you know, that younger group of players that we've drafted and developed. And, you know, with that responsibility um, comes a lot of pressure. And, you know, now we got to, you know, work with these guys to, you know, get them to play to their potential. And um, – and so, you know, they can perform at the level that they need to perform at so we can start winning. You mentioned players getting their confidence back. How concerned are you with Petey? Well, I think, you know, it's it's concerning. Like, But we all know the type of player that he's capable of. And, um, you know, it's he's coming off, you know, a tough injury. He hasn't played for a long time. I believe, you know, he's if he keeps working hard and competing hard on the puck and you know, he's going to have to get his confidence back, but I believe that you know, he's going to still be the real good player that we all thought and seen that he was the last 3 years. Have you played in the league? You I'm sure experience a lot of locker room dynamics. I don't know how much day to day you're in the room, but do you get a sense that everybody's on the same page in there? Yeah, I do. Um, you know, I think, you know, like you said, I'm not, you know, I'm not with them in practices and in the locker room, but I think we have a, you know, we have a good group of guys. We have a guys that, a group of guys that I think get along well together. Um, they've shown in the past that, you know, they've, they're willing to work hard for one another. And so I believe we can, you know, get back to that too here with this group. Do you think at all, like, I mean, it seems like everything's on the table right now with this group and where it is. You know, it was 15 months ago, you guys experienced some success in the bubble and your best players were your best players. What do you recall from that and what guys did well there that isn't happening now? And maybe did this organization overvalue that? Ex- it was such a unique experience in the bubble for the first time. Like, did you put too much stock in what you guys accomplished there? Well, I, I you know, I, I don't know the answer to that question. I do know that, 
you know, from in that Minnesota series. I thought Brock Besser was one of our best players in that series. Um, you know, that St. Louis series, I thought, um, you know, Quinn Hughes was really good in that series. Uh, and then when we played Vegas, I thought Petey and Demko were real good. So, you know, they got a taste of, you know, what it was like to play in that style of hockey, and they performed at that level. And so I believe that they have, have it in them to, you know, to perform at that level now in the regular season and, and you know, in the playoffs again at some point. A guy in, involved in that series was Manny Malhotra. Mm-hmm. In hindsight, has his departure been bigger than perhaps you realized? Um, well, Manny was more the eye in the sky for us at the time. You know, we've... You know, I think Brad bringing in Brad Shaw, I think, has been real positive for our group. Like, like I said, our five-on-five play is, you know, we're not giving up the chances that, you know, the high-danger chances that we did last year. Um, you know, Manny's real good at what he does. So, you know, I'm sure, you know, there's certain aspects of what he did that we miss. But, you know, I'm confident in our assistant coaches that, you know, they're making up for the difference in what Manny provided for us. Jim, you mentioned the performance of your young core in the 2020 uh, bubble. You also mentioned that the club had made an effort to turn over the reins to them in terms of leading this club. Considering how things have gone, did you mistime their readiness or over, or were you too confident in how ready they were to lead a winning team in this league? Well, I, you know, like I said earlier, like I believe in this group. I believe that... Um, you know, we still have enough veteran leaders around to show them, you know, the way and take some pressure off of them. But, you know, we need, we need like, you know, more players, I believe, playing to their potential. And once, you know, as a, as a management team and as a coaching staff, I believe that, you know, whether it's through, you know, working harder, winning more puck battles, uh, going to the net harder, uh, getting rebound goals, tipping goals, like, you know, those are all things that, you know, we need to do better to win hockey games. So, um, you know, I, I still believe that we have a good veteran leadership group and they're still, you know, a big part of our, our, our team. With the pandemic and the unique challenges that it presented for your organization, uh, particularly coming out of the bubble, um, and some of the budget restrictions and then sort of returning to normal uh, and the quick shift in direction twice. In, in retrospect, did that impede some of the progress you feel you made in 1920? Well, I'm not going to go back, you know, and, and, and you know, di- digest, you know, all that. Like, we're trying to, we have issues now we're trying to deal with and figure out and, and you know, I'm thinking more along those lines, finding solutions to our problems so we can get back in the winning column. Regarding the leaked meeting uh, with ownership this week, is there any color you're able to provide for how that meeting went and whether or not it changed your mandate at, as the head of hockey operations? No, like we, you know, we have these meetings with ownership periodically and, you know, they, it's like a state of the union, like, you know, okay, we didn't get off to a good start. They're not happy. Like, what are we doing to figure things out? Like, how, you know, how are we going to get this thing changed around? And, and you know, it it happens in every organization. Um, you know, in all the other teams I've worked for, that's that's what happens. And 
you know, that's what happened in this meeting. With regards to uh, eight months ago, your club launched an internal investigation through an independent law firm uh, into the allegations that were made against Jake Bertanen. Uh, you gave us an update on that in July. You gave us an update again in September. Um, you know, eight months on, has that investigation concluded, understanding that you probably can't comment at length about a pending legal matter? Yeah, it's it's a uh, ongoing police investigation, and and so I'm not going to have any comment on that till you know we we find out more from the police. Are you able to share whether or not the investigation is complete? Is it a closed matter from the organization's perspective? Uh, I'm not going to comment on that. Jim, what's the organization's overall message to fans right now? Well, I know you know fans are frustrated. Uh, I, we're frustrated. Um, it's wearing on all of us. We're going to do everything that we can to, you know, get this back back in the right direction, winning hockey games, and you know, hopefully, compete for a playoff spot. Last year, you said you felt you were two years away from being really competitive. Do you feel now it's one year away, or is that timeline changed? Well, I, you know. I'm not going to comment on that right now with, with where we're at. we got to just figure out, you know, how our penalty kill can be better, how we can, our best players can perform better, how, you know, we're a fragile team right now, how we can work through that, be mentally tougher. Um, those are the issues that we're dealing with right now. That is Canucks general manager Jim Benning speaking to the Vancouver media at length for about 20 minutes, a little over 20 minutes here at Rogers Arena. It is the Canucks hour here on Sportsnet 650. We'll be with you for the rest of the hour up until noon, getting reaction analysis from what we just heard from Jim Benning. We'll try to play back a few of the key clips as well. I'm Jamie Dodd, my co-host Thomas Drance. You heard asking questions in the course of that availability. He's on his way up from the media room. We're broadcasting from the uh, gondola here at Rogers Arena. So Drancer will join me in just a matter of moments. A couple of quick takeaways, probably the most notable just in terms of hard information from that press conference. Ian McIntyre of Sportsnet asked Jim Benning directly, is Travis Green's job safe? And Benning did not say yes. He said, we're looking at everything. We're trying to find solutions to our problems. He, he acknowledged that Green and his coaching staff are working hard. They, it's wearing on them. They're trying to do their job to the best of their abilities. But he also said, we have to find answers. So that, again, uh, of many answers that stood out, that's probably number one for me. Asked directly, is Travis Green's job safe? Jim Benning did not say yes. He did not take that opportunity to give his coach a vote of confidence at this time. Okay, 650, 650 is the text message inbox. We will be back with lots more on the Canucks Hour. It's myself. Thomas Trance is going to join me momentarily reacting to the Jim Benning press conference here on your home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. Welcome back. It's the Canucks Hour, Sportsnet 650. Jamie Dodd and Thomas Drantz, my co-host, Canucks Insider, who also covers the team for The Athletic. Before we go any further, tons and tons and tons to react to from that Jim Benning press conference. Canucks Hour is brought to you by Avenue Machinery. Being a champion takes foresight. Build your company to win for years to come with fuel-efficient and reliable Kubota skid steers, excavators, and loaders from Avenue Machinery. Visit avenuemachinery.ca. And Drancer, you're, you're fresh off 
sprinting up from the media room down in the uh, in the lower levels of Rogers Arena. You've joined me here in the broadcast gondola. You were in the room. It's been a long questions. time since I moved that fast, Jamie. <laughs> you know what? It was because of our overly caffeinated breaking news. Like that's right. Yeah, yeah. That, that made me. That was what my I had in my head as I bolted from the Norman Jewison media room at Rogers Arena up to the broadcast gondola to react to another. Canucks in Crisis, Jim yeah, Benning, that, media available. They should sell sponsorship. Another edition of Canucks in Crisis. They, they, they should legitimately like sell this space. Like, hey, yeah. for our mid-season, like, the, today's mid-season crisis press conference by the general manager brought to you by, yeah. you know, Whoever. whomever. Yes. Uh, the Dunbar Lumber. A, emergency restoration <laughs> company. <laughs> Passant Motors. I mean, um, you know, well, they, they honestly, it's, it's sellable space. You can set your watch to it, Jamie. Every year we do this. But I will say, I will say. This year it felt different. This year it felt different. And and the reason it felt different is that finally, at long last, Jim couldn't really answer the questions we need. Like, Jim has been in charge for eight years. We know who he is as a GM, right? We know who he is as a GM. We know roughly what he's going to say, what his team-building philosophies are. This market has figured out who Jim Benning is, right? This market knows. We know who Jim Benning is. We know, we know basically what he's going to say. The question we don't know the answer to, and still don't know the answer to, is one that he can't answer, like one that he can't speak to, which is, why has this organization tolerated this level of play for this long? Like, that, fundamentally, is the question that this market wants to know the answer to. Reporters don't have it. The organization won't give it to us. We don't know. We honestly don't know. And at some point, that's sort of what fans are going to need to understand to begin to move forward. And... He wasn't asked that question directly with that wording, but he was asked whether he feels his job is safe. And his response was, look, that's a question for ownership. Yep. And the question you're posing, Drancer, that's a question for ownership. And he was asked why ownership doesn't speak more regularly. And he said, you know, it's my job as spokesperson, but didn't give a really direct answer there. So there remains... And to be fair... That's also a question for ownership. Correct. Like the question of why ownership doesn't speak more regularly is Correct. also a question for ownership that only they can truly answer. It, it felt like we were asking a player about the coaching yeah. or a coaching about the management or a coach about the management, right? Like it, we're a low, level too low to understand what's really going on. But, and, but all of that said, I do think there were some fascinating, like Jim wasn't sure about his own job security. He wasn't sure about the coach's job security, right? He minced words about whether or not the club might make a trade. Uh, He didn't get into what the meeting was like with ownership this week, but, you know, sort of ducked the question on whether or not his mandate had changed. Did that sound to you like a general manager with full autonomy to guide the direction of this organization over the weeks ahead? To me, it did not. No. And we're going to go through this. We'll, t- we'll take your reaction as well. Plenty of it is coming in, 650-650 to the Dunbar Lumber text line. I will just say off the top. So, Drancer, you and I, in the days leading up to today, this week, earlier this week, other people in the market, certainly other people in our radio station, we had all made the point of, at a certain point, it's unfair for Travis Green to be the only one of any stature in this organization answering questions, right? And yep. that Jim Benning eventually was going to have to speak. So this was necessary But when we were making that point, we were also making the follow-up point that as necessary as it is, it's probably not going to accomplish anything either. And that's exactly how it played out. This was something that both was completely necessary and was going to be futile, ultimately. Because, as you said, this is eight years almost for Jim Benning now. The questions that fans truly have about this organization can't be answered by him. We've heard so many of his answers before 
there was if if the goal is to put out the fire in the market, there was nothing Jim Benning was going to say today that could possibly do that. So he had to do it. Credit to him for doing it and and taking that heat off of Travis Green at least temporarily. Although he also <laughs> left Green's status very much up in the air. Credit to him for doing it. But again, in terms of big picture, okay, what have we learned anything about the direction of this franchise? Are fans going to be swayed by what they heard today? No, and that was never going to be the case when Jim Benning was speaking to the media today. It just, it, no, it just it that wasn't. wasn't on the table. No, and well, and look, credit, you know, at the end of the day, he needed to do it. You're right. Credit to him. Yep. Um, you know, for doing his job. I mean, it is his job. I don't want to give too much credit to him, but credit to him. And, you know, I, I thought it was a couple days too late. I think once the leak happened that ownership was meeting with management. Yep. Once that became a thing and amped up the pressure in this market and shone the spotlight on Wednesday's game, I think, you know, and Bo Horvat had to handle it and Travis Green had to handle it. For me, after that meeting, you comment. Ah, there was no right answer here. There's no good situation or, or good way to play it because the team's bad. Like, the team's bad. And Jim Benning reiterated that he believes in the group. Yes. Right? That was one of so, my takeaways. He reiterated that on several occasions, right? I believe in this group. They need to get back to working hard. They need to play their, to their potential. But he made that point on a number of occasions that, you know, you did not get the sense, with the exception of the penalty kill, you did not come away from that with the sense that Jim Benning thinks this is a deeply flawed roster, right? He, he said over and over, I believe in this group, and we've seen the level they're capable of, and we just need to find a way to get them back to this group, right? So if any fan was hoping that, uh, or back to that level, I should say. So if any fan was hoping to hear, you know, okay, we've completely reassessed where we stand after these first 17 games and we realize that we need major changes, that didn't happen. It was quite the opposite. It was, we believe in this core group of players. Right. We believe, well, qualified, right? Because yep. he, yep. we believe in this team, but... Uh, several of his answers intimated that, in fact, they'd seen stuff in the bubble from the young core, right, that had made them believe one thing, and that, you know, they also had made efforts to turn the team over to this young core, and also that this young core wasn't playing to its potential. But when those three statements were strung together, a question I asked, to, to you know, and, and I posed it to Jim as, did you, you know, overestimate how ready this core team was to take the reins in this league, then he demurred. Yes. Right? So it was like it was like the club wanted to point to the struggles of their best players as a reason for their poor performance out the gate, but don't really want to say that. They don't really want to apply additional pressure to their their young players. And I thought Jim was trying to walk that tightrope and I don't think I don't think he really managed that. Uh, it, it's a delicate dance and, and one that I think, you know, that was a little bit of a stumble. You know, and, and as was the equating um, the struggles of being a general manager with the situation in Abbotsford. Yeah, I thought that was tone deaf and didn't I, have a place there, but Here's whatever. the thing with, with Jim Benning is that it's sometimes it's tough to parse what is him misspeaking because he's not great at speaking in front of the media, right? And I, I did think, and maybe I'm being too charitable, but I think what the, po the point he was trying to make, but he didn't tie it together, was Yes, my situation is tough, but I'm trying to keep it in perspective because there are other people who have it tougher. But he didn't tie it together. So I understand why people are pointing at that and, and asking questions about that comment. Um, as you said, yes, he, he was 
with the exception of in response to your question about turning it over to the young players maybe a little too early, I thought he was he was fairly direct about criticizing a lot of the team's best players. Certainly he was asked about Elias Pettersson on a couple of occasions, and again, it was he, he we need to do everything we can to get him going because he's not playing up to his potential. I also thought on, on several times he kind of implicitly criticized the work ethic of players, right? There was, a, there was a, a constant theme throughout this presser was we all have to work hard, right? And he was talking about the hockey operations department. He was talking about the coaching staff. He was talking about the players. He said things like, you know, they need to get back to working hard for each other. They need to get back to going to the net. It was – he didn't come right out and say our players aren't working hard enough, but a lot of his answers kind of implied that they're not working hard enough, right? That they're not playing for each other. That they're not doing – the gritty things, you know, those classic, they're not getting to the dirty areas, as they say. He did, It was never explicit, but it was kind of an undercurrent throughout the whole presser about his top players. He, it was definitely, I, I mean, not, it was subtext and text. Yeah. Right? Very much so. And, you know, it should be. Right? They haven't played well enough. We've, how many, how many days have we spent talking about the lotto line, Jamie? Like, every oh, yeah. day. Yeah. Every day. And then the Quinn Hughes penalty yesterday sort of put the spotlight on him, too. Right? So, I think overall the way that or- the organization's positioned, they've, you know, players like Tanev and Markstrom and Toffoli, you know, Edler, are gone, right? The young players were expected to be their best players. But are they well supported enough, right? Like, that's yep. kind of a key question here. Uh, it's hard to figure out your... Fi- it's it's hard to find your way in the league at the age of 23, 22, 21. Like, it's, it's tough. It's, it, it is... To quote Travis Green, a tough league to win in. And, you know, when those guys lost, some of the guys who'd done it before, you know, I, I do think that made a difference. I, I Clearly. I don't I don't even think that's, you know, a question. And Jim sort of mentioned, too, over the course of the availability that, you know, they'd, they'd made an effort to make sure that their young players had, lear- had learned in the league in a winning environment, right? That was a big uh, justification for bringing in Beagle and, and yep. Roussel and on and on. But... Look, those deals fundamentally hamstrung the club's club to pay for the leadership that really mattered, which was Tanev, which was the legacy guy, right? Which was the guy who had a different type of respect in that locker room and around the league because he's a genuine top four defender as opposed to a guy who plays nine minutes a game. Um, you know, they probably do miss Beagle's face-off ability shorthanded. No question, in fact. Yep. But that that's one aspect of the game, right? Tanev, they, you know who they miss more on the PK? Chris Tanev. Guy's a, guy's a savant. In that end. So, you know, overall, it felt like a lot of the old hits were played, right? What's wrong with the penalty killing? Well, it's not just players. It's also the strategy yes. we're using. But also, it's injuries. But also, it's Mott injuries. Sutter and Highmore was thrown in there for good measure I mean, and well. come on. Come on. Yeah. M- Mott, Sutter, Highmore. Like, they even, they even made Sutter's cap hit so that he was easy to replace should he hit LTI. Yeah. Like, literally, they designed durability insurance into his contract. And then didn't have a backup plan for him. Um, you know, he wore it. He wore it. He took responsibility, despite some of the despite some of the old hits. Uh, honestly, I thought it was actually pretty one of his better performances in this environment. And it is a tough environment for a general manager. It just it just there's just no upside. <laughs> there was, no, it was. I agree with you. It wasn't a well. Here's the problem, though. It kind there there is upside for one person in the organization and his ownership, right? Yeah. On. Wednesday night at Rogers Arena, in addition to the fire jet Benning chance that sort of, you know, there was smattering. It was like a, a brush fire as opposed to a 
arena-wide conflagration. Um, you know, in addition to that, there was a guy who had a sign that said "Sell the team," right? There was in on in the concourse groups yelling about you know "Sell the team." There yep. was the target was not on the players. The target was not on the head coach. It was at the apex of the organization and and on Jim Benning. And you know, Benning today goes out and takes some bullets for the club, right? Takes the heat from the media. Yep. And that puts the attention back on him and sort of takes it off the apex of the organization where it's tended to be over the course of the past 10 days. So, you know, I mean, that's a classic purpose to the to these availabilities is the GM takes the heat, right? That's the classic purpose. I think Jim did that today. He accomplished what needed to happen from an organizational perspective. Um, but, you know, I, I don't think that should shift our focus in terms of talking about what needs to happen next with this club. Yeah, unsigned text comes in. The whole success of your season cannot rely on Highmore, Sutter, and Mott. I would agree with that wholeheartedly. Uh, 650-650, keep your text coming in. This one comes in. Wayne from Kelowna says, I don't agree with Benning and his belief in this group. The Canucks have to play their best, and the competition has to be mediocre for us to be competitive. We need help defensively. And something that stood out to me on a number of occasions in that interview was Benning referenced the improvement the team has made at five on five, right? Hey, look, we've cleaned up a lot of the high danger chances we were giving up last year. Our five on five play has been a lot better this season and with the implication that it's special teams and the penalty kill specifically that's letting them down. And, you know, obviously there's some truth to that, but the worrying thing for me there is sure your five on five play has gotten better, but nowhere near to the standard that it needs to be right. So that that's concerning for me because Yes, the penalty kill and the power play right now are the more immediate pressing problem with this team, but there's still a ton of work to be done at five on five. It's not as if you can say, oh, hey, this is an excellent even strength team that's just being let down by its penalty killing. It's gotten better, but again, it's just nowhere near the level it needs to be. And to Wayne's point, I think that undercuts the idea that Benning was trying to get across here. They're saying, hey, I still believe in this group. You know, we're better five on five. We just need to improve the penalty kill. Just need to get our top players going. You know, all of that stuff can happen, and the five-on-five talent on this team, I, I think, is still not going to be good enough. You you think the top talent on this team is the not five good on enough? The five-on-five talent, I said. Oh, what I was yeah. saying is right. Benning was saying, Sorry. oh, the five-on-five players improved. It's sure. Improved, but not to the level it needs to be. No, no well, we're close to the level and it's it kind of And it's kind of obscured, like, the, the, the defensive struggles, which are still there, are kind of obscured by the fact that the offense is worse, yep. and by the fact that Thatcher Demko has been so good, and so is Yaroslav Halak at 5-on-5. Five five. And that the penalty kill is taking so much of the heat. So much of the heat. right? Rightfully so. It's R- atrocious. <laughs> it's completely atrocious. I called it an act of God on the Merrick show, right? Like, yeah. And I think about that first power play goal that Colorado scored, where it wasn't just that they scored. It was that first they missed a backdoor tap into an empty net, and then they hit the post, right. and then they scored, and it all happened in a like three-second succession, and it just felt so inevitable every time the Canucks took a penalty that they would get dented as a result. Wild. I don't know that I've ever seen anything like that in yeah. in hockey. Like the Canucks are honestly on a stretch that is nothing short of historic on on their in terms of their shorthanded play. Yeah, I, what was interesting too is like as I think about and I try to react and I try to sort of parcel out my thoughts on an availability that ultimately I, I feel was performative for the organization as opposed to informative for those in the market that are concerned or who've had their confidence in this club severely undermined over the course of the past 17 games. 
as I'm sort of trying to wrap my head around it, you know, Jim very was very disciplined about not pointing the finger at the coaching staff, right? Right. At no point did he do that. But he also wouldn't protect them in any way. And yep. that was smart because we wouldn't have believed him anyway. Yeah. Right? Um, at no point did he – like he takes responsibility for the performance of the team, but he defended his record and his approach, right? There was no admission of mistakes when I asked him about the stresses of the pandemic and whether it waylaid the organization. No, no, not willing to digest or discuss that. There was no admission of error. In fact, he mentioned that he still believes that this is a playoff team. And he mentioned what, to me, remains the most concerning part of this entire story, this entire kerfuffle that has surrounded this team this week. The idea that it's a shock, a huge surprise, that this team has landed poorly in this NHL season. Like, that, to me, is something I just can't wrap my head around. Every single objective model and the Vegas money line, like the Vegas markets, no one with skin in the game or an analytical criteria, objective analytical criteria to rate hockey teams, thought that this team was playoff caliber. It was like, like it was like a groupthink thing. It was like a lie that they all told themselves internally. It seems within you know Canucks HQ at Griffith off Griffith's way, and internalized to the point that they had real expectations on this season. They didn't. It seems like they didn't even think they were like a bubble team. That hey, we can get in if some things go our way, but. There's no contingency plan for yeah. what was probably the more likely outcome. That to me, like how do you how do you as a fan, how do you as a consumer in this market, how do you as a hardcore fan who cares about the way that this team wants to go about winning, hear that and have any confidence that the people in charge at the moment are the people to fix what is ailing this club. And that, you know, we've had people text in, you know, oh, you know, typical Jim Benning press conference, didn't show any emotion. And I disagree. I mean, he's not the most, you know, emotive person, certainly, Benning. But I, I thought the sense of shock was noticeable. Like, the genuine surprise that this is happening to the team, I thought that was noticeable. I thought also, you know, he – it came up many, many times, talking about himself, talking about others in the organization, the players, how much this whole experience is wearing on all of them. So I thought there was plenty of emotion, but to your point, the fact that the surprise that the Canucks find themselves in this situation was totally genuine is pretty alarming because again, it, they were in this situation, Drancer, less than a year ago. And I know you can tell yourself all of these excuses for why it happened in the COVID season, but I guess what we're finding out now is th those that wasn't just spin when they were when they were selling us those lines last year to explain the team's poor season. They genuinely believed them. And that as you said, is is pretty concerning because even if you were, you know, look, teams are teams are always going to try to be optimistic going into a season, right? Unless you're the Arizona Coyotes this year or something, and you know you're purposely going to try to be bad. Teams are always going to try to, you know, talk themselves in. But you have to also keep one foot grounded in reality and recognize what you have and recognize that with this roster, there was an awful lot of downside. And I, I agree with you. The fact that the the shock and surprise seems to be completely genuine, that this this was not even on their radar whatsoever, that they would get off to this kind of start. That has to be concerning. The Canucks have been the underdog by the Vegas money line 11 of 17 games this season. 11 of 17, Jamie. And it's a surprise that they're where they are? Literally, literally, the Vegas money line implies that the Canucks should have won six games this season. They've won five. It, it implies that they should have 12 points. They have 12 points. Yeah. <laughs> we cannot 
say that if 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 this club's performance is that big a surprise, then this organization almost needs like a literacy test in in risk management. Like they need a it's and I don't think they do. There's enough smart people here in working for the Canucks. There's enough business minded people working for the Canucks that I don't believe that it's as big a surprise as they're casting it. I just think they were selling hope and it became too apparent too early for the organization's convenience that in fact that hope was style and not substance. A couple of other more informational notes from the press conference, as we said, did not give Travis Green a vote of confidence when directly asked if Green's job was safe. He said he's casting around the league, talking to other general managers about potential moves. If something makes sense, we'll do that. Gave an update on Travis Hamannick's vaccination status. Uh, Hamannick got the second dose a couple of days ago. Also, I thought those details were really interesting. Yes, also clarified a little bit of what happened in terms in of September. the confusion in yes. September, right? Uh, and there was some confusion coming into the text message inbox, but just to sum it up really quickly, when Benning said on the eve of training camp that the team would be fully vaccinated, according to Jim Benning today, at that moment, he had just spoken to Travis Hamannick, who was on his way to get vaccinated. When Travis Hamannick got to the pharmacy to take the shot, he had some second thoughts. Then there were some other issues that came up personally for Travis Hamannick that led to him to take the leave of absence. And that that's the most detail that we've had on that situation uh, to this point. Also, as you asked, uh, Drancer, no comment on the Jake Furtanen investigation or whether the club's internal investigation uh, has been concluded and they've seen those results. He decided not to comment on that. And, and it should be noted in, in asking that, that the club in July and in September intimated that it was ongoing, right? So that's what I was following up on. For me, until the club... And it's club it, it, explains like hey the investigation's concluded and we forwarded our findings on to VPD where the investigation's like until we have closure yeah right this is still an open it. player personnel matter for a player yeah. who is still on the Canucks's books and I'm, I'm getting a lot of pushback saying that's not relevant because he doesn't play for the team we're talking about an active Canucks player who took a leave and was bought out while being under active investigation for sexual assault and people are saying I shouldn't be following up on that in this NHL in the wake of everything that's occurred over the course of the past three months, fans think that's an irrelevant question? I mean, whatever. Everyone's entitled to their opinion, but I just want to make it clear to anyone listening, I could not care less if you think that's irrelevant. That's one of the most relevant things that this organization owes its fan base some transparency about. Uh, I also think the Travis Hamannick answer was fascinating for a variety of reasons, but one of which is, you know, we're in a moment locally where, you know, there's like, 5%, the hard 5%, to, yep. to get the hard 5% vaccinated. It's only like 250,000 vaccine-eligible uh, British Columbians. If we could convince those people to get the shot, we'd basically be at what most people think her, uh, is required for herd immunity in the face of the Delta variant. And, you know, everyone at this point, that's the hard 5%. Everyone at this, for all the people remaining unvaccinated, it's not just about the vaccine. It's about a million other personal factors, Right personal health reasons, personal political leanings, personal family situations. There's a million reasons why, at this point, those who haven't already decided to get dosed uh, remain undosed. And the Canucks as an institution went through this process with Travis Hamannick, and while they insisted, clearly, that he get a shot before joining the club overall, yep. they also showed him a tremendous amount of compassion, right? At no point, clearly, from the club's perspective, was he cast as you know anything negative like an anti-vaxxer, right? They defended him to the hilt in the media, in the press, in the public, right? They defended him 
at length. They accommodated him at length. And ultimately what happened, he finally ended up getting uh, both doses. And at some point, we'll have the status of a fully vaccinated player under the NHL protocols. I'm glad that Jim Benning was somewhat transparent about the process during his availability today because there's honestly no more relevant Canucks story from this season in terms of what institutions and individuals in this province can learn and take from that in terms of how to grapple with getting just over the hump as we work through and try to maintain public health in this pandemic endgame. I I was pleased that the club shed some additional light on that circumstance. Yeah, it was that was one of the more interesting uh, nuggets. And again, not necessarily directly related to the team's performance, although, of course, not having Travis Hamannick present uh, present at the start of training camp does play into things. But one of the more interesting factual pieces of information to come out from the Jim Benning press conference. We're going to turn it over to Bick and Irf with Sportsnet today. And I can say that later today on the People Show, Canucks general manager will be a guest with Sat. Dan and Randeep. They'll have an exclusive interview interview following up on his media availability uh, with the rest of the media in Vancouver today. So you're not going to want to miss that. Still confirming the exact time, but Jim Benning will be on the People Show today, Sportsnet 650, with Sat, Dan, and Randeep. Keep your comments coming in, 650-650. The rest of the day here on the show is going to be analysis, reaction to what we just heard from Jim Benning for the Canucks Hour, for myself and Thomas Drance. Thanks for listening. You've got it on the home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650.